The current climate crisis is a global issue. And I don't know a lot about what others are doing around the world to help with this crisis. A while back, I discovered a new business venture called Farming Carbon, which is co-founded by Stephanie McAvoy. It is trying to change the practices of both farmers and consumers in Northern Ireland. For me, Northern Ireland doesn't come to mind when I think about carbon drawdown or carbon sequestration, which are just two of the efforts being made by farming carbon. So recently I spoke with Stephanie to talk about what brought her back to Ireland and why she decided to devote her time and efforts for making a difference with farming carbon. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and this is Nature Revisited. thinks of Northern Ireland, one doesn't necessarily think of climate change, environmental issues, or farming carbon. So growing up in Northern Ireland, how much did your natural surroundings influence you? And how important is place? In other words, where you are and what you're doing, how important is that to you right now? Yeah, so um, Northern Ireland is a very rural country. Um, 79% of our country is actually used for agriculture. And both of my grandfathers were farmers. In a nostalgic way, place is very important to me. I spent my childhood outside playing on straw bales and standing in the gateways whenever my cousins and I would have to help move the cattle from field to field. A lot of my farmers are smallholder cat farmers. Um, it definitely, it's often overshadowed by Northern Ireland's international reputation, which is tainted by politics and conflict. But there's actually a lot of positive things that happen here with all of the climate things that are happening. There are lots of active youth climate activists and there's lots of creative and passionate businesses that are focused on becoming more sustainable. So it's, a, it's actually a very nice, enjoyable place to be. So you mentioned to me earlier that at one point in your life, you were working on luxury yachts in the Mediterranean. Why did you leave Ireland to do that? And what brought you back? Why I left, I had an itch for traveling. I was in my early 20s and I just wanted to go and see a little bit more of the world. I'd actually spent a year in university on the East Coast of America, in Florida and in New York. And when I was there, I worked with an international crew of students, and many of whom were really well-traveled and they were much more cultured than I was. So um, I knew that my family and my friends were really close-knit and that if I traveled for a while, that home would always be home for me. And Europe's not that big. But where I was situated at that time was driving distance to the vineyards of Provence. Um, and also we were able to do food and farm tours in Italy. So food and the production of food was really um, 
one of my key interests at that time. And it expands into the farms and the people who would produce it, especially in the vineyards. Like the winemaker was often so passionate. And I really, I loved being a part of that, even when I was away and there was a language barrier. But across Europe, as is the same in Ireland, the youth are encouraged to leave the countryside because the lifestyle and the expectations of farming just to be completely consumptious of of all of your time. You're there 24 hours a day, you're always on call. If something happens, you have to be there and be available. So even when I was traveling across Italy and France, you could see whole villages were just being abandoned in mountainous agricultural areas. And there would maybe be a few elderly people still there. But that absence was really noted. And it just felt fitting for me to come home, not to embrace this pattern of total abandonment that seemed to be happening across Europe. What are some of the other events and things that sparked your interest in the environmental issues? I mentioned before, I worked on both before coming back to Ireland. Whenever I was working on the boats, I definitely had a few moments that just inspired clarity for me. Um, we were sailing through hurricane-force winds in the Gulf of Lyon in January a few years ago. The storms there can be really forceful, so it's maybe comparable to the Gulf of Mexico. The currents and things can be really strong. And when we were out at sea, you're in this little metal box. I sat on the bridge and I was hypnotised by the power of the sea. Like the waves would hit us and we would be involuntarily lifted in whatever direction it wanted to take us. And the natural world is just so powerful. Our weather patterns are so strong and we're foolish to think that we can just outsmart it with cleverness because that kind of strength, the kind that we're seeing across the world, with cyclones and floods and storms and fires, anyone who's experienced that up close and personal will probably be able to relate to the fact that we don't have an option of not working with nature. You're either with her or you're wiped out. And I really do have a lot of respect for the world around us um, and this increasingly erratic weather that we're experiencing. It's a symptom of a world in pain. And we didn't listen when it was whimpering and now the world really is shouting back at us. So I think it's just really important to start now and do something about it all. And there was another occasion on the boat when we were in port, um, so I was on duty, which meant I couldn't leave, couldn't leave the vessel. Just went to go and walk upstairs and sit on the top deck to watch the sunset. And reading an article that day about rising sea levels, and as I was sitting there on the top deck, looking out over the city in which we were um, in port, I just realised that my privilege, like I was looking out at a city on the waterside in Liguria, a beautiful province in the north of Italy, and if the predictions are even close to being correct, this town would lose a considerable amount of their infrastructure with sea levels rising and their lives and their livelihoods would be destroyed. And who was going to pay for that? Would the children pay with a diminishment of their opportunities there? Would the elderly people pay with their lives because they didn't want to move? So all I knew is when I came home, I just really wanted to make a difference in the world. Where was Northern Ireland in that larger picture when it comes to the important issues of climate change and global warming? What what did you find when you came home? Some people here here are amazing. There's an incredible network of people who are really committed to sustainability and they're doing a lot of really wonderful things. But in general, 
Northern Ireland is about 40 years behind. We're the only country in Europe that has no environmental legislation. Northern Ireland's per capita greenhouse gas emissions are higher than the UK's, higher than Ireland's, and they're higher than China's. As a country, we produce a lot of food that's exported, so the general public are never really confronted with the hard reality of farming and how it's increasingly difficult to balance the cost of the chemicals and processes with the price that the consumer is paying for food. Production expectations here, it's degrading our soils and our ecosystems are completely out of balance. But we think that they're healthy because our farms still produce enough that they're able to export, therefore the general consumer doesn't think we have a problem. There's a passionate group of individuals that are ahead and with the times, and then there's a massive majority of the population that's not really engaged at all. You have collaborated with a farm to start a business called Farming Carbon. How did that come about? How will it work? And what are some of your goals? So my business partner is and has for many years been a practical environmentalist. His family own a renewable energy company and he spent the last several years improving the practices of their farm, working with an environmental agronomist to improve biodiversity and the microbiome of the soil, which has had a positive impact on all the native species, birds and small mammals live there as well. So he and I came together to make an informative platform and bridge the gap between normal everyday people and businesses and provide a way for them to drive sustainable innovation within agriculture and support the rural economy. So farming carbon sales subscriptions for which each contributor can choose the size of plot that they want to sponsor. For each of those plots, the person would get an acknowledgement of the biodiversity and carbon drawdown impact on their little part of the farm. The subscription is funding reinvestment back into the rural economy here in Northern Ireland. So each plot, your impact's not limited just to that space. By collaborating with us, we are trying to create an educational product that we can give back to the rural, the rural community essentially and really just teach people how we can make small efficiencies to continually improve. Our goal really is to support the rural economy through this necessary transition, through education, by sharing our scientific evidence, and with financial and advisory support. Everybody eats, everybody breathes, and life is reliant on diversity of life and clean water. So we hope to create a win-win for the greater good in society where the normal everyday person can help empower the farmer. And, and what is motivating you and your company to try and make a real difference? Here in Northern Ireland, we have an 83% depletion of biodiversity since the 1970s. And I'm determined to be part of the plan that ensures that my grandchildren have at least that 17% of species to embrace. If we can embrace plant-based technology, as in the plants are the technology themselves, we have a hope of carbon drawdown and greenhouse gas avoidance. Um, most renewables can prevent future greenhouse gas or carbon dioxide, but they don't address the current atmospheric load. It really takes the plants. They're an essential part of this, removing the, the carbon that we already have in the atmosphere at the minute. 
we have other alternatives like forestry, sea forestry, or certain algae that can be used as a solution that address both biodiversity and the carbon drawdown effect. But this is where we're so different. Farming carbon is a solution that does all this while serving a human purpose as well. Regenerative agriculture feeds people, but it also feeds the planet. So I think that's, that's definitely what's driving us, and that's why we're focused on this particular solution um, in terms of climate action. Can you explain from our, our listeners what it is you're really trying to do when you mention or you talk about farming carbon? What we do is we actively work on six elements or pillars of farming, which will hopefully improve seven key elements of rural life um, from everything from the soil to the sky. So we work on the health of the soil, the plants and the livestock. And then we try to balance chemical usage to reduce that as much as possible and then improve efficiency of farming practices. Through achieving efficiencies in these six areas, we would hope to attain ecosystem balance, which would make up the seven. So ecosystem balance is essentially the seventh part of our framework. So plant species and crops can be selected in consideration of both the soil and for the living creatures in that ecosystem. Planting certain plants will decrease the requirement for chemicals, both in the form of fertilizers for the land, but also for antibiotics in the livestock. Plants can balance the soil. The soil feeds the small life. The plants feed the, the livestock. And so it's really about achieving small efficiencies, but consistently. We can't change everything at once, but every efficiency is an improvement and steady improvement will help farmers reap the rewards at a rate that they can see. So carbon sequestration is definitely important to us. But I suppose farming carbon is the framework itself. So it's not just about carbon. Like a massive focus for us is biodiversity. Because um, in, the, in the practices that we have started to embrace, like we have now species of rare birds and things that you just wouldn't normally see. Yes, carbon sequestration is definitely an element, but it's not. It's like farming carbon is carbon sequestration and other things. So carbon sequestration is a word that some people just really aren't familiar with. It's the process by which carbon dioxide is removed from the atmosphere and held in solid or liquid form. So plant growth is the most available, realistic to implement and completely natural way of addressing the imbalance in our atmosphere full of carbon emissions. And when farming carbon, we present a natural chemical-free way of increasing carbon dioxide breakdown. So plants grow and are nourished by photosynthesis, a process of digesting carbon dioxide, whereby the plant retains the carbon in their structure and exhales oxygen as a byproduct. Then the reciprocity and competition by, of planting several species of plants together, it increases the biomass of the plants itself and the roots dig deeper so the soil is better aerated it increases mineral availability within the soil as well. So this diversity of growth supports life from a healthy microbiome up to healthy, hardy livestock. 
So what are some of the practical ways that you're trying to get farmers to make changes? And what is the reaction so far from the farming community of Northern Ireland? So we want to empower farmers, but we don't want to tell them that they're wrong. Um, I think it's a line that's been used quite often by environmental activists. It doesn't set the stage for a good relationship with them. Our food systems at the minute reward yield and the consumers support the system status quo. I think it's important to recognise that the farmers here are just doing what they have to do to get by. So we want to present an alternative to them, but we definitely don't want to go in and tell farmers that they're wrong or they're doing things wrong because they're just functioning within a system that's not working. Something that is easy to do is patches or swaths of wildflowers, and that's a good start. You can do it on the field edges. It encourages insect life in that part of the field, which means that there is a more diverse livelihood of insects that could come and live on the plants as well. So it helps increase the, the health of the crops. Or something that we've done that we thought was a very productive task was planting two crops at once. So we planted barley and pea. Planting the two together means that there's a diversity instead of a monoculture, um, and that helps the ecosystem balance a little bit. Then the crop, the barley and the peas together, can be harvested and dried, and that creates a nutritious, protein-rich cattle feed. Northern Irish farmers, I'm sure they will want proof and evidence. So at this early stage of our business, we're focused on building that body of evidence by collaborating with agricultural bodies, kind of trying to, to paint the picture before we go in and start preaching at people that they need to change. And we also, as part of our education, want to really um, engage with the consumer and have like an acknowledgement of everybody's responsibility within this, this food system. So what do you see as your biggest obstacles when it comes to promoting your business and interacting with farmers? Farmers are stoic. They're proud and they're unlikely to ask for help. We don't anticipate ever trying to convince a farmer to change. We'll present an opportunity to improve their situation and demonstrate with research and evidence how effective it is. As a society, we're so quick to try and scapegoat somebody else. And for too long here, that's been the farmer. They're often smallholder farmers. They have less than 100 acres. And they're being dictated to by supermarkets and food processing companies to sell their food for less than it takes to produce it. And they claim back the difference from the government. So our biggest obstacle has less to do with the farmer and more to do with the general consumer. Essentially, our main message is consumer responsibility. More specifically, for where we are right now in our business, accountability of businesses in investing their profits back into the community they profit from. It's problematic that large conglomerate organisations have the capacity to reduce the entire industry to its knees. And the rhetoric of blame the farmer is, is just wrong. It's continually spun as a distraction from other issues with our social infrastructure in regards to food. Ruminant animals have existed for eons of time. Their production of methane was not problematic until we started consuming it at a rate that required industrial processes to rear them, while simultaneously destroying 
the absorbent parties in the natural carbon cycle, like meadows, woodlands, forests, and all the while undergoing industrial and technological revolutions to the point that our homes are run on fossil fuels. The internet is run on massive data centers that's powered by electricity that's run on fossil fuels. So I think the problem that we have, it's more to do with this need for massive social change, which is why we fit in with with climate action and like really seeing that within the ecosystem of human life that we're out of balance and we need to, just like we do on our farms in farming carbon, like we need to just bring ourselves back to balance. How connected do you feel in Northern Ireland with the rest of Europe when it comes to solving these crucial environmental issues? The mainstream media around Brexit didn't educate the typical English or Scottish citizen of the potential issues that could arise within our geography should the status quo be upset. The trade agreements are still causing logistical issues here and there have been um, groups that have been rioting in reaction to some of the proposed Brexit clauses. So I hope that in an effort to mediate this unrest, we might be able to correspond with the EU representatives in Ireland. The EU has a reputation of a commitment to innovation within agriculture. And because I'm an Irish citizen um, and our solution is associated with the greater good and has far-reaching social environmental impact, I believe that the EU is definitely a body with whom we could collaborate in the future. And the French are inspirational in how they approach their food systems. Their entire legislation is generous to the farmer. So there's evidence across Europe of the rural to urban migration for increased availability of opportunity. So we definitely were involved with a lot of things that we're trying to keep up to speed with how advanced Europe is in terms of sustainability. But Northern Ireland, it's kind of a unique case. At the minute, we're actually not a part of Europe anymore. We are a part of it, but we're really on the fringes. I'm very excited to put this on my podcast because it's a global effort that we have to make. And I'm I'm thrilled to be able to share you and where you're from. I think it's really important that people get a sense that it, it's a global effort. So how can someone learn more about the work you're doing and your business, Farming Carbon? Well, you can come to our website, which is www.farmingcarbon.co.uk for more information. And that is where you can subscribe to our membership, uh, which correlates to the land on our Genesis farm. As we complete the research on the farm, we'll allocate to every one of our subscribers the impact that they've been responsible for. And we also have lighthearted content on our social media. So you can find us at Farming Carbon on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok. Do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with my listeners? And I'm really hoping that my podcast can help to highlight your efforts and what's going on in Northern Ireland. Because like I say at the beginning, most people probably don't think of Northern Ireland as a place that is trying to help solve some of these issues. We've definitely taken a lot of inspiration from um, regenerative ranchers 
who have um, very generously posted so much on social media, on YouTube and everything. And the way that they demonstrate the work that they're doing has been really eye-opening for us. So despite our the little species that we have here are quite different, but a lot of the principles are universal. Um, I have listened to podcasts and this kind of regenerative agriculture. It's successful in Guatemala. It's successful in Zimbabwe, across Asia. I think internationally, like because the framework itself is really just embrace nature and let her show you how to do it. Um, but definitely the American um, movement, I think Gabe Brown is a particularly a good example of that. The, the resources that they make available online are incredibly valuable um, and we, we really thank them. I've actually thanked, I've sent them an email to thank them because they, it is, they're really at the forefront of this um, movement. enjoyed this edition of Nature Revisited in my conversation with Stephanie McAvoy and that you visit farmingcarbon.com to learn more about the efforts being made to make a difference in Northern Ireland. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with family, friends, and colleagues. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and NordenProductions.com. Music for this episode was Celtic Evacuation by Van Morrison. This episode of Nature Revisited was made possible by the generous support of Nancy and Jamie Horton. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Orden and Charles Gagan. I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature.